Well, I mentioned in our order of worship with the announcements that we have our next foundation class coming up uh, next month. And I've found that over the last few years since we started doing this, that this is one of the most enjoyable things that we do at TCPC. The foundation class is where we welcome new folks into the church and, and we go through what it means to be a member in the life of our, our church here. All our faith, our traditions, our denomination, that sort of thing. Nate Jones is famous for uh, creating a postmodern bingo game that we play there. Some of you remember that. It's kind of fun in its own unique way. But the content of the weekend is that we go through each of the five questions, what it means to be a member of uh, the Presbyterian Church in America. They, these questions come from our book of church order. And it's essentially, you go through the questions of, do you admit that you're a sinner? Do you admit that Jesus is the only solution for your sin? Do you admit that you'll now live as becoming a follower of Jesus Christ, that you'll support the church, and that you'll submit to the government of the church? Of those five questions, the one that I have found to be so particularly interesting is question number four. And the exact question is this. Do you promise to support the church in its worship and work to the best of your ability? Now you think about that. The worship and work of the church. If you ponder that for just a second, you realize that's a big request. You really need a lot of information before you answer that in the affirmative. Seriously, what all does it include to worship and work to support that of the church? And as we look through scripture, there's all kinds of things. And typically when we teach this on Saturday morning, we kind of boil it down to the significance of belonging to a local church and kind of giving your all to the local church. And that really is what this is about. As I thought and pondered about it this week, that really... We very infrequently see anyone have disagreement with this question. But I wonder if people understand exactly what is expected to support the worship and work to the best of your ability. Now, if you'll return to our passage, we're going to look at verses 25 through 27 this morning, the very, very end of this letter. And I feel like with all of the words that we just read from the end of 1 Thessalonians 5, I feel like Paul kind of fleshes out what the expectations are to belong to Christ church. There are a bunch of imperatives here, and I'm not going to preach through every one of them, I promise, this morning. I just want to focus on the end. But really, the question I have for you this morning is this. Do you enjoy being a member of Christ church? Do you enjoy being a member of the church of Jesus Christ? Now, if you're visiting with us this morning, or if you're unsure about this, you have no idea what being a member of a church is, uh, we can talk about more of that later. But for those of you who call this place home, or if you're visiting here from a, a different church, do you enjoy the expectations that God's Word gives you as being a follower of Christ and being a member in His church? That's what this morning is going to be about, of looking at these brief words here that Paul gives us as he wraps up his letter. Let me put this briefly into context as we've been looking over the last month or so from 1 Thessalonians. This is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a brand new church and he is excited that their faith has started to grow. They had heard the message of the gospel that he had preached. He had visited with them. He had to flee in the middle of the night because of persecution. And then he got a report back from Timothy that his words had been accepted, they had been believed and they were being followed. And now these people had accepted the words of the gospel. They were growing. They were excited. And now Paul, in turn, writes essentially this love letter. 
And here at the end of chapter 5, he gives this list of to-dos. It's almost as if Paul, as he's wrapping up his letter, says, Oh yeah, now wait a minute. I forgot about this. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. Don't forget this. But he writes this to a group of people whose hearts have been aflamed with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That they want to participate in what Jesus is doing. And I'm going to focus again just on these last few verses. And I want you to see this morning from this that a good church member has two things that I want to highlight. There's more than just that, of course. But first, we have a growing desire to care for others. And secondly, we have a growing desire to be changed from within. A growing desire to care for others and a growing desire to be changed from within. Let's look at this now. First, this growing desire to care for others. Look at verses 25 and 26. I'll read it again. Brothers, pray for us and greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. Let's think about this in two parts. In our care for others, let's think about first uh, the world of prayer and then also that of affection. Inside of the church of Jesus Christ, we are people who are to pray for each other. This is such a simple command here in verse 25. It's easy to overlook this. It's a basic call upon the people of God to pray for each other. It's not hard to understand what this means. Paul had already said in verse 17 that we read previously, where he told them to pray without ceasing. That is that your lifestyle is to be about prayer. Your lifestyle is to be about a person of faith. That you're always dialed into the reality that you depend upon the Lord for all things. But now though again, as if he did not want them to forget, he says, brothers, pray for us. It's as if there is a desperate plea of Paul to pray for the church. To be a community of prayer, a community of faith who consistently calls upon the name of the Lord for all matters, but especially for each other. You know, I found it interesting in Paul's ministry to the Thessalonians, he had so many different needs. Again, he was forced to flee from the city in the middle of the night. He certainly had need for provisions and resources and supplies. He had all kinds of needs. But what was truly on his heart, as you think of me, people in Thessalonia, you pray for me. He could have asked for money. He could have asked for resources. He had every reason, every right to ask for that. But that's not what he asked for. The one thing he wanted above all else was for the people of God to intercede for him. Of all things, why would an apostle want this? If you're familiar with Paul's personal life, his testimony, his calling, you know that he was converted in Acts chapter 9. We'll get there later as Robert preaches through Acts. But also in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, you can read it later today. There's this unbelievable occurrence where Paul was ushered into what we see here from scriptures called the third heavens. That is that the apostle Paul saw things that literally man is not supposed to see. But in God's grace, he allowed Paul to see them. That is, he saw heaven opened up. He saw the supernatural reality more than anyone else had seen. He knew more than what anyone else had ever known. And he had experienced this amazing revelation from Christ to him. And as a result of that, it is clear that he recognized the power of prayer. Prayer. 
He saw the urgency to be people who would pray for each other. He saw that in divine revelation that we as human beings have a unique calling when we pray for each other, there's incredible power that comes with that. So let me ask you this morning, do you really believe that prayer works? Do you really believe that? Do you think it's kind of a cute thing, maybe a good discipline, maybe a good practice, a good part of your devotion life? Or do you really believe the world can be different? Because of your prayers. You see what Paul is saying here. Pray for us. I need that more than anything else. Because I have seen what you have not seen. And prayer works. You know in our Old Testament passage that Leanne read a few moments ago. It's one of my favorite passages in all of scripture. Because it combines a couple of things here that we're not comfortable with. It combines the mystery of a holy, powerful, sovereign God who relented and did something different because of the prayers of a sinful person. Essentially, God, quote, changed his mind because someone prayed to him. Again, go back and read Exodus 32. Moses is in a desperate situation of the leader of a very stubborn group of people. And God was prepared to destroy them. And Moses, quote, stood in the gap, talking to the Lord on behalf of the people. And redemptive history was changed. Of all that could be said regarding prayer this morning, please press into the urgency and the power that happens when we pray for each other. This is not just a good idea. According to God's word, we literally can change the world. Our prayers can change lives. And whatever theological bit you're coming from this morning, don't think for one second that Calvinists deny the power of prayer. Don't you dare think that. Yes, this God to whom we pray is completely sovereign. And in his sovereignty, He somehow mysteriously includes our prayers to bring about his holy and his perfect will. I cannot explain how he does that. But from scripture, we cannot deny that it's real. Of all that Paul wanted and needed, he wanted his friends. Plain, ordinary, regular folks who have the spirit of God inside of them to intercede on his behalf. You see, inside this community where we are members, inside this household of faith, our calling is to constantly be in prayer for one another, to intercede for each other, because God really does bring about his perfect holy will through the prayers of ordinary people like you and me. You see, Paul wanted prayer because he wanted God to do those things which only God can do. Again, the question for you this morning is, what do you want? Do you want what only God can do in your life and the lives of others? Or do you want what you can create in and on your own intuition, your own imagination, your own ability? You know, I can't preach this morning without simply asking this question. Again, because this passage is not hard to understand. Who is it this morning for whom you desperately need to stand in the gap? Who is it in this room? Who is it in your family? Who is it in your neighborhood who desperately needs you to be a person of prayer today, to stand in the gap, to go before the sovereign Lord of the universe 
and to intercede on their behalf. Will you do that? Paul desperately asked them, pray for us. You know, I can't skip over this this morning. But technically speaking here, Paul was a minister of the gospel. And he was commanding his people to pray for him. There is another connection for us. And as your pastor, I do plead with you on the authority of God's word. Would you please pray for your ministers? Matthew Henry said about this passage. He says that the more people pray for their ministers, the better ministers they're going to have. That only makes sense. You know what kind of pastor you have? It very well may be the kind of pastor you're praying for. Paul here says, pray for us. You know, as we prepare to um, restart our parish groups here in a couple of months, the heart behind these groups is that people would know each other well enough, that there would be intimate enough relationships where we would know how to pray for one another and we would actually do it. Again, not because it's a good idea, but because it works, because God is honored. So belonging to Christ church, first we see this care for others represented in our prayers. But then also notice our care for others represented inside of our affection for one another. What on earth does verse 26 mean? Greet each other or greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. What a great verse. While Robert's on vacation, I thought it might be fun if we put this into practice and when he got back, everyone could go and kiss him. He would hate that. (laughs) Here's what you need to know about this verse. That there are several cultural practices throughout the Bible that represent a principle. But not the exact practices to follow culture after culture, time after time. The holy kiss was a practice in Paul's day of exchanging a kiss to other members of the household of faith. But the principle, the principle, what really matters is that the church of Jesus Christ is to be a place of warmth. It's to be a place where we embrace each other in a holy way to encourage one another. The practice for us is to be recognized that when we come together and practice Christian fellowship... That when we see each other in the name of Jesus Christ, this is to be a place where our souls are uplifted by the affection of Christ to us and us to one another. And that affection can be expressed and received with a warm handshake, with a hug from your brother or sister in Christ. And again, it's not just a good idea. This is a command of God in Scripture. I think the picture here is something like this is that when you have not seen a family member for a while and you come back together for some occasion and you see him or her, it's not enough just simply to nod your head and acknowledge that that person is there. Know that there is something special about a physical touch of a handshake, of a hug, of a kiss, or whatever the case may be. It's a powerful and a loving thing to put your arm around someone and tell them how good it is to see them. This is a uniquely Christian thing. It's a human thing in the sense of that's how God has made us. When you read the life of Christ throughout the Gospels, you will see physical touch involved. In Matthew chapter 8, for example, when a man with leprosy came to him asking to be healed, Jesus reached out, touched him, and made him well. 
You know, as I thought and I studied and prayed this week about this passage and this sermon, it comes as no surprise whatsoever that of the many things that Satan would like to destroy on earth and especially inside the church, one of those would be the loving embrace of people. The whole notion of physical touch. We all know that Satan has done a masterful job of destroying this. That even the idea or even the expression of physical touch has been perverted and twisted and abusive. Even the thought of it can have devastating memories or emotions. I've been taught by several counselors over the years that the power of touch really is that significant, both for good or for evil. But what we see here from Scripture is that our souls are designed to receive physical touch from our brothers and sisters in Christ with pure hearts. So Paul says, greet each other with a holy kiss. A holy kiss. That is, in your purity, inside of your community, make this a place that is warm and inviting and loving. We're to welcome each other. It is good, it's healthy, it's godly, it's appropriate. It's good for us. You know, we just had our greeting of peace. It's one of my favorite times as I stand up here. Sometimes I go and greet others, sometimes a choir, sometimes I just stay here. And it really is beautiful to look out and see how people's faces are changed when they receive a handshake and they hear the words, the peace of Christ be upon you and with you. It's a beautiful thing. So we return to our seats. There is a spiritual connection to the physical embrace. It's not an accident. Again, think about it. Inside of this world in which we live, where sin has destroyed so much, people are hurting so much, this is to be a place of warmth. You know that last year in the United Kingdom, British Prime Minister Theresa May appointed Britain's first ever Minister of Loneliness. That's right, Minister of Loneliness. Because throughout the United Kingdom, estimated 9 million people live daily with loneliness. See, for the church of Jesus Christ, we have the opportunity to change that completely. This is not to be a place of loneliness. This is to be the opposite of that. So here's what we don't need at TCPC. We do not need a cold, business-like, impersonal approach to worship where no one enjoys seeing each other. We need the opposite of that. There are plenty of places we could go to find that kind of place. The church of Jesus Christ is not to be one. So I beg you this morning, if there is someone here who you do not want to extend your hand, who you do not want to make eye contact with, will you be reminded that Jesus came to you when you were an outsider? And he gave all that he had for you. And he welcomes you in. You know, let's be honest this morning. No one here deserves our affection. No one here deserves our love. That's what we celebrate in the church of Jesus Christ. You're not loved because you're good. You're loved by the one who was good, who gives his goodness to you. So what kind of member are you this morning? 
Are you a member who consistently prays for each other? Are you a member who can extend your hand in love towards someone that you don't know or someone with whom you have struggled? That's what we're about. This is the worship and the work of Christ church. But second thing to notice, back at verse 27. That it's a weird to be a people who desire to change from within. Let me read verse 27 again. Paul says, I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. What a weird command. I had to admit, before I studied this, I'd really never paid too much attention to this verse. What's he saying here? Here's what he's saying. He knows that the whole church needs to hear what he has to say. The whole church needs to hear about the return of Christ. The whole church needs to know what happens inside of our lives when God's word is at work. The whole church needs to know what happens when we die. The whole church needs to hear the story of God's grace. The whole church needs to hear the reality of persecution. Everything that he's written about, he's saying the whole church needs. But doesn't it seem a little bit arrogant on Paul's part to say, I put you under oath to read this? Like, I've never written an email like that where I put you under oath that you must read this. You need to know this about Paul's words. In 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter described Paul's writing as scripture. Paul understood again from his own testimony of when the Lord brought him into the heavenly beings that what he said was true. That what he said was gospel. What he said was scripture. He was writing with the authority of God himself. You see, as we preach, as we teach, as we hear the word of God, it is God speaking to us. This is not a devotional habit. It's not just Paul's ideas. We have the law, we have the prophets, we have the Psalms, we have the gospel. Now we have the apostles. They all form God's revelation to us. You see, to hear these words read is a powerful thing. You know, as I read 1 Thessalonians 5 this morning, there's some hard things here. To refrain from evil, to pray without ceasing, to rejoice always. Those are hard things to do. It means we're going to be changing. And you know, when I read them, I said the word of the Lord. And you know what you said back? Thanks be to God. Did you mean that? Are you thankful to God that he is commanding you to grow and to change? That's what a follower of Jesus Christ does. Jesus is constantly tearing us apart and rebuilding us in a whole new way. A whole new way dependent upon him. I love, Paul put him under oath and he said, listen to these words read. So this morning... We're to be hearing, we're to listen, we're to dwell, we're to meditate. We are to build our lives upon the message of Scripture. And it will humble us, it will tear our pride apart, and as a result, we will see Christ and His promises to us. These words change us, they form us, they conform us to Him. And they are all about Him and our need for a Savior. My prayer this morning is that we would not come to church to learn, but that we would come to obey, not the preacher, 
but the message of Scripture. And I think that as we worship, as we hear his word, yes, we will consistently be torn apart by our sin, but then we will rejoice in thanksgiving of the redemption that he is doing inside of us. So do you want to be a member of a church? Is this what you want? To participate in the worship and the work of the church? If you do, you're going to have a growing desire for those around you. And if you do, you're going to have a growing desire for your life to be changed like Christ. These are our Savior's words. And now as we prepare to come to our Savior's table, let me remind you that your Savior is the one who is praying for you right now. Your Savior is the one who has put His Spirit inside of us. That He touches us with His Spirit. And let me remind you as you come that his word is being written upon your heart even this morning. He is everything. Let's prepare now to come to his feast. So Lord, as we prepare to come and partake of this meal, I ask you again this week that you would nourish us in Christ that you would give us uh, your grace as you promise you'll do. Father, we thank you that you uh, consistently feed us. Lord, we come to you now as people who are hungry and thirsty for you, and your promises to us are real. So we give you all honor and glory this morning. And we pray this now in Christ's name. Amen.